Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts Tom and Tim. Hi Tom. Hi Tim. <laughs> We said that exactly the same time. How are you? I'm very well, very well. Uh, could be better, but uh, I didn't get the result I was looking for last night. Ah, now you're talking about Manchester City against Tottenham Hotspur, I believe. Yes. Are you saying that you actually wanted Tottenham Hotspur to win a game? I found myself feeling very dirty, grimy. Grime is that kind of dirt you get after you've had a bath and you've let the water run away. That kind of dirt around the edge of the bath is grime. I felt really grimy last night, Tom. I was actually celebrating Tottenham goals. I see. Yes, the result in the end went away from you. They were 2-0 up at halftime, but they lost the game 4-2 at the end. And I have to say it was a, a cracking game for the neutral. A cracking game means it was spectacular. It was wonderful to watch. Yeah, a cracking meal, a cracking day, a cracking game. It's a great word of saying, great way of saying fantastic. Um, so, Tom, why are we here today? Uh, well, it is the midpoint in the season. You'll see that most of the Premier League teams have played 18 or even 19 games, uh, a couple maybe on 17. So it's time to reflect, Tim. It's time to look at the top of the Premier League table and look down at the bottom. Uh, I have a feeling you'll be more accustomed to what's going on at the top, whereas my team, West Ham, we are in a relegation fight. So uh, I will have some insight on what's going on at the bottom of the table. But let's start by talking about the teams at the top. Uh, now, currently, as I look at the Premier League table, which is just in front of me here, I can see that your boys, your team, Arsenal, have played 18 games. Uh, so we're almost at the halfway point. And they have 47 points, followed by Manchester City, played 19 games with 42 points. Manchester United played 19, 39 points. And Newcastle played 19, 38 points. We won't talk about Tottenham in fifth because they're uh, at least 14 points off the pace. So, well, Tim, we're, we're, yes. we're talking about people competing for trophies and everybody knows Tottenham haven't won a trophy. Well, they haven't won the league since 1961. So there's no point including them. Sorry, Tom, <laughs> I interrupted you. I was just going to come round to uh, a few questions for you. Obviously, you must be very excited about Arsenal and that feeling that uh, the team might actually do it. You might actually win. So before I ask you if that is possible, my first question is, what is different about this Arsenal team that you're watching compared with other recent seasons? Well, a lot is, is the simple answer. Uh, if you want to try and uh, break that down, and that means to separate it, to break things down uh, into three different uh, categories of difference, I would say uh, an attitude and accountability difference, uh, a difference in tactical intelligence and a difference in the in the technical ability of the players. So let's go through those one by one. And I think they are in the order of importance as well. When Mikel Arteta came to Arsenal, uh, he started, even in the first interview he gave to the press, talking about non-negotiables, things that he considered red lines, things that uh, were rules, standards, requirements of the players on the pitch, off the pitch, in training, in the way they conduct themselves, um, that he was simply not willing to sacrifice. And um, you've seen a couple of big name players actually leave the club because of these non-negotiables. So, for example, uh, 
the first one in the firing line and to be in the firing line is to be the the person in the line of attack uh, was uh, Mesut Ozil. He wasn't willing to run. He wasn't willing to train. And um, Arteta gave him short shrift. If you give someone short shrift, Tom, what does that mean? It means that you don't have much patience with them. It means that you, uh, yes, get rid of them. You you don't tolerate them. That's a good yes, way to say no it. No time, no patience, no tolerance. Um, and that was exactly the difference that Arsenal fans saw and noticed straight away. Because whereas in the past, Arsene Wenger might have made an exception for a more talented, technical, Hollywood-style player, uh, Arteta came in and said, no, no, all players are the same. Another one who suffered for the same reasons would be... a. Uh, um, uh, Pierre, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who is, of course, club captain. But his off-field behaviour, arriving late to training, uh, not representing the club in the same way, especially not setting a good role model for the young children, uh, not young children, young players, sorry, in the uh, in the squad. And uh, Arteta did absolutely everything he could to get rid of him. Actually, Arsenal paid him to leave, which at the time was controversial. But if you look back now, you're actually thinking it was a masterstroke. And a masterstroke means um, you do something like almost magical. You must be watching him at Chelsea and thinking, we're so glad we got rid of him. Well, there's a couple of things I've enjoyed. Uh, Firstly, uh, recently he was substituted on in the first half and then he was substituted off in the second half. Uh, When Arsenal played Chelsea, uh, our goalkeeper had more touches than than, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And we brought Elneny on in the 83rd minute and he had more touches than Aubameyang as well. So, yes, I am absolutely loving it, Tom. And... On the flip side, and when I say the flip side, I mean the other side of the coin, you've got players like Eddie Nketiah, who maybe technically might not be the greatest player in the world, or even Granite Jacker, who does have obvious weaknesses on, on a technical level, but their commitment cannot be questioned. They listen to every word the manager has to say, and they go out onto the pitch and they do their very best to, to, to try and implement it. Uh, and I think that's a massive difference. Um you were you always felt a bit embarrassed sometimes with what you the stories you read coming out of Arsenal. You certainly don't have that anymore. Um, moving on to tactical intelligence, I'm going to name uh, two players, kind of three players. I think um, Arsenal. One of the reasons they're so good is because you have some players who are essentially playing two positions or half in one role or half in another role, depending on where when we have the ball or when we don't have the ball. Uh, and also where the ball is. And some players I'd like to to highlight here is firstly Zinchenko. Um, when Arsenal have the ball, he becomes like a, a centre midfielder. He becomes the second pivot in a double pivot alongside Party, which as a consequence allows Granite Jacker to push up the pitch as a consequence, which allows Martinelli to stay wide. So there's all of these areas of the pitch being occupied in ways that they're not usually occupied. Another, uh, so he's playing a kind of an inverted fullback role. Um, another player who's who's been able to, to fit in with this uh, tactical, these tactical demands has been uh, Ben White. He, he was bought as a centre-back. Uh, he started playing right-back. And again, he doesn't overlap uh, which means to make the run on the outside of the winger, he he underlaps or he provides um, a ball, an option inside, meaning Bukayo Saka can stay wide and cause maximum danger. 
Um, and then the technical requirements. Uh, he is a very demanding manager in in uh, is is our Arteta. I nearly said Guardiola there, uh, but uh, is Arteta. And um, there's a couple of players that uh, really need to have a, a really complete skill set to be able to play in this side. Uh, one of them is Thomas Party. I think Thomas Party is our most important player. He is the cog which makes the whole machine work. Uh, a cog is a little round thing in a machine which turns. Um, without Thomas Party, there would be a spanner in the works. So these are two idioms which are related to technology, uh, uh, the cog in the system, a cog in the system and a spanner in the works, to throw a spanner in the works, to stop the system working. Um, without Thomas Party, we we are essentially uh, a broken team. Um, we're a very different side and we'll come into why later, but essentially Thomas Party. When we don't have the ball, he's very intelligent when he presses, when he when he doesn't press, he's very good at establishing where the danger is. And when when we get the ball out of defence, he is such a key player in terms of spreading the play. He's able to receive the ball with his back to, to somebody and turn into space. His his awareness of what's around him and his and his touch to be able to exploit that vision is phenomenal. Um another one, the final one really. Well, so I suppose Zinchenko as well, being able to have the skill set, but we uh, to play in those two positions as a defender and a midfielder, is Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, if you want to play football from the back, you need a goalkeeper who can play like that. Uh, I think we've seen a few times in uh, David de Gea, Yoris, even Edison last night for City. Uh, if you can't depend on your goalkeeper's passing that puts a pressure and a stress in the defense and you can you can feel an anxiety across the whole team it really affects the style of play mm -hmm. fantastic uh, I'd like to mention something about Zinchenko because I have to say uh, it is a pleasure to watch him this season at Arsenal. He used to come on for Manchester City or start games as a left back. But I noticed, as you mentioned, he's an inverted left back. He plays further forward in midfield and you can see that he's got a job to play the ball through the channel. He breaks the lines of the opposing team's midfield and it seems that Arteta has given him that exact instruction. He backs Zinchenko. He says, you have an incredibly accurate left foot. This is the pass I want you to make. And it's it's a joy to watch him do it. Yeah, he's often given the responsibility to, to break the press. Um, often Arsenal will will um, will condense will will maybe bring a lot of players quite close to each other in the defensive right position when we're playing out of defence, and then maybe a a lot a switched ball will be played to Zinchenko, and then the the actual the attacking movement often starts with Zinchenko. Not only Zinchenko, we do have quite a lot of flexibility, but he's definitely uh, the starter of a lot of passing moves. I have a question about tactics, Tim. Uh, obviously, Mikel Arteta spent a few seasons as the right-hand man for Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. Do you see some of the influence of Pep Guardiola in the tactics that Arsenal are using? 100% uh, yes and 100% no. And I'll explain it. I think Pep Guardiola is a football purist. Um, I, I think if Guardiola's perfect match happens as he likes it, or as he wants it to happen, then you're probably looking at perfect football. And I and I, I think Arteta's aware of that. He's copied it. He's copied the good things from um, from from Pope Guardiola. And what are the good things that what what allows 
Pep Guardiola to be so good is he really focuses on on midfield numerical superiority and that's a complicated way of saying having more people in the middle of the pitch um, and uh, he's able to do that through the inverted fullbacks through a false nine um, and there's there's absolutely no doubt that that Arteta has been trying to implement that um, at Arsenal uh, I would say that he wants to play the football that uh, that Guardiola plays. Uh, but when I also say 100% no, it's because sometimes when you watch City, you think, is that the only way they can play? Can they deal with a difficult situation? Can they win ugly? Um, and I think Arteta is perfectly happy to win in a variety of ways. And more than that, he's prepared to win in a variety of ways. It's not let's attack and play beautiful football and if that doesn't work let's try and get lucky no there he's he's able to to concede possession uh sit deep and still find a way to win he's able to press high he's able to to play with a low block um so i think he's possibly more pragmatic and flexible than guardiola i don't want to say better because obviously he's only won one fa cup and guardiola has won i would say hundreds of trophies but it's not four, quite hundreds certainly of. four out of the five premier leagues of the last ones so yes so i wouldn't say better but i would say Guardiola's main priority is style and how they win. Uh, and I would say um, Arteta's main priority is the result. Um, Another question for you, Tim. Uh, now you must be feeling that Arsenal have a realistic chance of winning their first Premier League for many years. I'm sure you can tell me the date. 2004. Uh-huh. Was that the Invincibles season? That was the Invincibles, yes. Uh-huh. So... With it becoming a very realistic prospect now, we have to ask the question, uh, are there any obstacles that could prevent Arsenal from winning the league? And I'd like to anticipate one. You mentioned Thomas Partey being crucial for this team. Do you have a backup for him if he gets injured? And you can't tell me El Nenny for this. <laughs> well, I know you've always been a fan of El Nenny, uh, <laughs> so I'll hold off for my justification. But uh, yeah, in answer to this question, that is the biggest obstacle between Arsenal and continuing playing the way we're playing. I'm not going to say we're going to win the league or not going to win the league because we're the best. But what what is in our hands is controlling the way we play. Um, and without Thomas Partey on the pitch, um, there are a couple of changes that would definitely have to be made. Instead of playing essentially a single pivot uh, with Zinchenko offering some assistance, but then two further forward, what we call attacking eights in uh, in Jacker and uh, Odegaard, uh, you definitely have to play Jacker alongside an El Nenny. Uh, and there it is, Tom. I've <laughs> I, I've slipped his name in. Um, why? Because essentially El Nenny has a lot of the attributes defensively and he's able to hold his position in a way that Thomas Partey might do. Um, and Jacka has got a better passing range than uh, than El Nenny, so, uh, similar to, to Thomas Partey's. But that being said, Thomas Partey is a better defender than El Nenny and Thomas Partey is a better passer than Jacka. So he is irreplaceable. And I think it's almost impossible to buy somebody in that position as cover as well, because essentially you, if we were to buy somebody, we'd be looking at a Fabinho, a Casemiro, a 
a uh, Kimmich. There's no way any of those players are going to come to Arsenal for a cheap transfer fee and be happy to sit on the bench. So the other alternatives, you take a risk on a young player or you look to accommodate for his loss with what you've already got in the squad. And I think that's what Arsenal would do. Um, in terms of other weaknesses, uh, I would have said we were lacking a substitute um, attacking player, but it seems we've signed uh, Trossard from Brighton this week. Um, 27 million euros, uh, which seems like a good deal for all parties. Uh, today, we've announced the signing of a young Polish um, defender. Uh, you know, Tom, we're not pronunciation specialists in Polish, but Karwior, uh, we're going to say. Um, I have actually spoken to a Polish colleague, but I can't remember how she pronounced it. But it definitely wasn't how I did. Um, and it looks like we're looking at a, a Spanish right back uh, called Fresneda from Valladolid, who is very highly rated. So the main obstacle, I would say, is the, the potential Thomas Party injury. He has missed a lot of football for Arsenal, but previously at Atletico Madrid, he hardly missed any football. So we're hoping he's found his previous fitness. Mm-hmm. So I guess you're feeling it's a two-horse race. Can you keep your noses in front of Manchester City? That's probably the question uh, that we're all wondering. And and you, I, I notice you're being a bit superstitious to here, Tim. You're not going to commit to a prediction uh, because sometimes these things can backfire. These predictions can go wrong. Yeah, to backfire, to bite you in the arse as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you say it's a two-horse race, but in fact, as an Arsenal fan, I find myself more instinctively scared of a, of a, a resurgent Manchester United. And a resurgent Manchester United means a, a, a Manchester United which has come back to life or found new energy. Uh, and I think this Manchester United side really have. They were unlucky to draw uh, the other day, but they are, apart from that, they're on an eight-game winning streak. Uh, Rashford is on fire. Um, uh, Tan Hag really looks like he's got these players playing the kind of football that he wants them to be playing. And I think City are a bit um, unpredictable this season. I don't think they're at their best. I think if they were at their best, they would be top of the league. So we're talking potentially a three-horse race or could Newcastle mm. United even come into play? I think they're only one point behind Manchester United. Yeah, I think Manchester. I think Newcastle will dip. I think it is a three-horse race. We've still got to play Manchester City home and away because of a cancelled fixture. So that could ease that eight points could easily be two points. Um, and Manchester United. Um, I mean, they they are the juggernaut of English football. What's a juggernaut? A juggernaut is a very large road transport vehicle isn't it like a giant uh, americans would call it a trailer truck or a tractor is it trailer easy or difficult to stop once it gets some momentum oh with that kind of momentum that weight behind it very difficult to stop that's how yeah, we so use that's it in the english danger. That's the danger. Manchester United are the juggernaut of English football. If they get some confidence, they could be difficult. Um, but it's going to be an interesting end to the season. And Tom, I must say thank you because you asked me, uh, how does it feel to be top of the league halfway through the, the season? And that's, we must remember where we are. We're not at the end of January. The World Cup has changed the fixture list. Uh, in mentally, it's it's a very strong thing to be able to say we're top at Christmas. We're top in the new year. But this year, those reference points have gone out the window. So it's much more useful to do what you've done and count the games. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Do you think, Tim, that we've uh, talked enough about the top of the league? We've we've mentioned the top four clubs. Uh, we mentioned Tottenham, who lost yesterday, but they're really off the pace again. They they're not they're fighting for a European spot. Is it time to move on and talk about the bottom clubs, or is there anything else you'd like to say about the top of the table? No, I'd uh, like. I'd, we, I'm just wondering how your neck is, Tom, because you've been looking down all season. Um, <laughs> it's nice sitting up at the top of the table. Um, no, no, I think we've spoken enough about Arsenal and about the top of the uh, table clash. Just to say, fingers crossed, and uh, I hope Arsenal can keep on doing what they're doing, uh, even finishing second after the the beginning of the season. If someone had offered us second, we'd have bitten their hand off, meaning we'd have accepted it very quickly and very gratefully. Um, so, Tom, what about the other side of the coin? West Ham, uh, Europa League finalists not so long ago. Semi Semi-finalists, yes. Uh, we, oh, we Conference got to the... League final. Uh, well, we're still no, in that semi-final. You're right, we, it was we semi-final. Semi-final in the Europa League last season. But I tell you the truth, Tim, even during that, that fantastic magical run uh, to the semi-final, which felt magical because it had been our first good European campaign in 30 or 40 years, that was coinciding, meaning happening at the same time as the, our league form faltering. By faltering, I mean, yes, we started to drop down the table. Last season, from January to, to May, we were blaming it on Europe. It's hard to maintain your concentration in two campaigns at the same time. Unfortunately for West Ham, that form has continued. And as things currently sit on today, January the 20th, West Ham are in a relegation position. Uh, to describe the table to our listeners, though, I have to say, uh, with 19 games played by practically everyone, uh, the bottom eight clubs in the Premier League are only separated by five points. So right now, Southampton and Everton are below West Ham, but they're all on 15 points. And you go all the way up. There are, there's Bournemouth on 16, Wolves are on 17, with Leicester and Leeds all on 17. And Nottingham Forest, who have won their last two games, have jumped up from 14th place, bottom of the league, up to sorry 20th place, up to 13th place. So it shows you that with two wins... And this goes for West Ham or any of the teams at the bottom of the table. Everything can change around. So, Tim, if we're going to talk about who's going down, those eight clubs I'd mention are really the ones who are in it. Uh, we have Crystal Palace on 23 points, 12th position. Uh, but I think they will probably be fine. However, Nottingham Forest, they're in 13th. They're looking good right now. But... Things could change there very suddenly. So Yeah, I think it's a tight league. And as you say, there's lots of teams that could get sucked into a relegation battle. They could be lulled into a false sense of security by their league position as opposed to their points. To lull someone into, into a false sense of security, mean, uh, security means to tempt them, to allow them to feel safe when they're not. Um so it's an interesting uh, situation. Tom, what's the situation at West Ham? Is it is it an identity problem? Is it that uh, West Ham, uh, when David Moyes came back to the club, they were they were fighting relegation, so there was less demands of uh, to play uh, attacking football. Uh, they were willing to sacrifice possession, defend well, and hit teams on the counter attack with fast, strong attacks like Michel Antonio. 
Um, and now they've they've got to the Europa League latter stages. There's a kind of pressure to 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 be the big club. They finished in the European positions two seasons in a row. Is this an identity problem? And if it is, um, is this is attacking football something that you can see David Moyes getting this West Ham team playing, or should they look for a different manager, or should they go back to a style of football they're more comfortable playing? I would argue that it is a tactical problem that in part relates to David Moyes and his way of doing things. Uh, West Ham fans complain that we are too predictable at the moment. We play the same formation, 4-3-3. We have not really made... We we made some big summer signings, bringing in Lucas Paqueta, bringing in Scamacca from Italian football, bringing in Naif Agurd from uh, the French League, the Moroccan centre-back. These were big money signings, but still we're playing the same tactics. When I look at that bot- those bottom eight clubs, I see that there's quality in all the squads. It's going to depend on having a manager who can organize and motivate his team sufficiently uh, to give them that belief, that confidence. And right now at West Ham, you can see that there's very little belief and confidence. Uh, Players who were in form one or two seasons ago when we're at the top end of the table now appear to be out of form. One problem I notice, I I want to talk about a tactical point you made earlier in relation to Arsenal. You said that Arsenal can win playing under different styles, different tactical methods, which was a, a distinction between them and Manchester City. This is something that West Ham have not been able to do. Uh, West Ham have a way of playing where Moyes, and this is something I noticed last night when Tottenham played Manchester City. Moyes will tell his defenders, if you're under pressure, give it back to the goalkeeper and then the goalkeeper is going to kick it up to the middle of the park. Essentially, turning your team's possession into a 50-50 hopeful ball. Maybe you can win the ball in the middle of the park, maybe not. Defensively conservative teams like West Ham or even Tottenham will do that when they are under pressure with the ball in their own half. However, the best teams, in this case Manchester City, will use that time where they are under pressure with the ball in their own half as an attacking opportunity. You can see that the attack begins with a Manchester City player under pressure on the ball in their own territory and they will draw in the opponent and then there is trust in the team. Pep Guardiola trusts all his players to be able to play a quick one-two pass and create uh, and exploit the the space which is left behind the, the team that is pressing. West Ham don't do that. As a result, when we play football, we can't sustain possession and we can't sustain pressure on other teams. I watched us play Wolverhampton Wanderers last week and we were very good for the first 15 minutes of the second half when we were already losing 1-0. But substitutions were made for Wolves and West Ham lost that momentum, that ability to keep the pressure on the opponent. So if you ask a West Ham fan right now, Tim, they will say, David Moyes, thank you very much. You were good for the club one or two years ago, but your time has come. It's time to say goodbye. We need something fresh, fresh ideas. We have the quality in the squad, but we need a manager with a new way to inspire them and get the team playing better. 
So you would uh, bring in a manager who is able to take the team to that next level that David Moyes isn't. So try and play a possession-based style of football. Um, well, I've, I've got, sorry, T, I've got, I, I just want to clarify what you say there. I would love to play that possession-based style football. However, we are in a relegation scrap. So that, right that's now. why I ask, because in a relegation dogfight, I'm, maybe David Moyes is the best man to be there. But he needs to, or the club needs to, needs to accept that between now and the end of the season, they need to go back and play some more agricultural football, um, using their physique, uh, strong defensive line. Um, I've got a list here of players who, on their day for West Ham, have been very exciting, very uh, players who have maybe had links to bigger clubs. Uh, Fornell, Suchak, Bowen, Kufal, Antonio, Zuma, Lanzini. All players who... Technically, uh, very good at their positions. There's no reason why these players could, couldn't play in a more expansive uh, style. So maybe maybe the problem is Moyes. All of these players you mentioned, when they're in form, they, they can be very, very dangerous. Right now, uh, of all of those players, the only one who has shown to me some consistency this season was Zuma, but Zuma is injured now. All the others, you can see that the collectively they're a bit out of form so uh but i think boys if we if we replace boys with something someone else they could generate that effect getting the players uh galvanized meaning bringing them together again the problem we've got tim is who do we bring in of course the west ham players uh Sam Allardyce? Called, well they were they were calling for names such as thomas tuchel or maurizio pochettino and then it was made clear that these managers were not interested in coming into a relegation fight. Then you can imagine, uh, Sam Allardyce, no, but the some kinds of similar names have come up in their the managerial hats. Names like Rafa Benitez, Sean Dyke, the ex-Burnley manager, uh, Crazy uh, Bielsa, the, the ex-Leeds United manager, uh, these are the kinds of names who we're dealing with now. And you have to really ask yourself if any of them would be better than David Moyes. I think it would be a 50-50 toss. I, one point on this, I regret that we didn't move on or, or that West Ham didn't play badly earlier in the season. So we could have got rid of Moyes and got someone in like Unai Emery. There have been quality managers coming in, but we, I feel like we're too late or, to find or them Lopetegui. now. I mean, Lopetegui yeah. at Wolves looks like a real tactical uh, genius. I mean, yeah, it's a difficult one, though, because, you know, in the past, uh, West Ham have gone down that route of getting a, a more expansive, bigger name, cultural for, uh, manager. And you had Pellegrini and it didn't work. You know, it worked. It looked nice for a bit. The football was a bit nicer, but then the results didn't come. And, and he was out the door and they went back to a David Moyes type. So I think maybe this kind of big club like West Ham who's spent a long time towards the bottom of the table maybe half the problem is the expectations of the fans as well uh, very difficult to manage a club that feels like it should be dominating uh, football matches um, another club Tom that I think is totally broken is uh, Everton Everton they are they're on a terrible run of form there have been protests at the stadium outside the stadium there's been talk of death 
death threats made to Moshiri um, and and Bill Kenwright, uh, who are the owners and chief executive, uh, although these were denied by the police, which makes me think that Moshiri just didn't want to go to the games and uh, he was looking for an excuse. For the first time in 20 years, there wasn't an Everton director at a football match. Uh, Frank Lampard looks uh, like he's out of his depth, which is a swimming idiom. Uh, if you're out of your depth, you're in the part of the swimming pool where your feet can't touch the ground and it looks like um it looks like frank lampard is treading water to tread water is when you're out of your depth and you're kind of moving in water you're moving your feet to stop yourself sinking but it kind of means to tread water means to make a lot of effort without going anywhere and looks like lampard's treading water they've got problems they sold richarlison who was their goal scorer to uh, Tottenham uh, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who had been their goal scorer a couple of seasons ago, has had injury problems and hasn't returned the same player. Just to exemplify how bad it is for Everton at the moment, I think their most consistent performer this season has been Alex Iwobi, who's a winger playing in centre midfield. So that really shows you how much they are in in a mess. So, Tom, uh, what do you think about Everton? Can they can they turn this round? Do they need a manager's change as well? Everton are relegation form at the moment. Since the World Cup finished, they, they lost 2-1. Their home form in particular lost 2-1 against Wolves, lost 4-1 against Brighton, lost 2-1 against bottom of the table Southampton last Saturday. Uh, this is relegation form. In fact, the game on Saturday between West Ham and Everton has been dubbed El Sakiko, due to the fact Sakiko, that El Sakiko, it will either be David Moyes or Frank Lampard, who's probably going to be out of a job within 24 hours of the result of that game. Or I, I suspect both of them will be gone. If it's a draw, both will go. Uh, and you know what? Even if West Ham win that game, I still want David Moyes to go. And I expect Everton fans feel the same about Lampard. So uh, here's the thing, though, Tim. You are right that the form of Everton and West Ham has been abysmal. But these are big clubs. Uh, if I'd like to move up. We've only got a, a few minutes left. So I'd like to move on to talk about who is really going to go down. I think that West Ham and Everton have enough quality and enough experience to pull themselves back up. I think we're looking at those those teams above them, Bournemouth. Uh, this, You're going to say Bournemouth and Leeds and Southampton, aren't you? I might even say Forest as well. I know Forest have got some great players who, who they signed. I like, for example, uh, Loddy, their fullback, and you know they they've clearly got some talent. But the question is, uh, you know, can they maintain that form that they they've just won two games in a row now? I don't think so. From a West Ham perspective, I'm thinking, who is worse than us? And I look at Everton, I think, no, they're not worse than us. Southampton, they're equally bad as us. Bournemouth are worse than us. Wolves, they were equally bad. Leicester, they're better than us, or they showed it when they beat us at home this year. Leeds could be worse than us. Nottingham Forest could be worse than us. So, Tim, I can only go on hope, not expectation, but I'm hoping that at least Bournemouth, Wolves, Leeds or Forest will win, will finish the season below us. 
I I I tend to agree, but I I think Southampton are going to go down. I think they've uh, they've lost all sense of identity since uh, Ralph Hausenhuckel left, uh, and I think Everton are toxic. And I think the toxicity uh, of the stadium, of the atmosphere you've just mentioned, they've got terrible home form. Of course, they've got terrible home form. They're, they're, their players are being shouted out, abused, trying to get to the stadium. Um, so I can see Everton going down. Uh, I do worry about Bournemouth as well. And also worry about Leeds. Leeds have only got two points since the World Cup. They lost, of course, Rafinha's goals this summer. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced by Je Jesse Marsh. Um, but yeah, so I, I think the obvious ones for me, I think it's going to be Southampton, Everton and Bournemouth. Would you I have agree to say, there? I have to say, Tim, you are going against history with that Everton prediction. This is a team oh, that yeah, has they are not been only... relegated since 1954-55 season, I believe. There are only two teams in the Premier League who have never been relegated, Everton and Arsenal. Oh yeah, well, you're um, talking about the League One, I think, as well. The, any league, yeah, any the, league. The top league before it became the Premier League. Only yeah, Everton so Arsenal, Arsenal. Arsenal were promoted into the top league of English football. I think it was nineteen in the nineteen fifteens, something like that. Mm -hmm. and we've never been down since, and I don't know when Everton were promoted, but they've never been down. They've definitely been close a few times. Um, so yeah, Tom, it's going to be a fascinating uh, second half of the season. Um, I I wouldn't worry too much. I think West Ham have got the quality to to pull uh, through. They've got Paqueta, they've Which, got Skamaka. Yes. I'd also like to mention, I don't know if this is a good signing. I believe we've just bought Danny Ings from Aston Villa. Uh, we do need a backup for Antonio and Skamaka. I'm not sure if Danny Ings is the man to play under the David Moyes way, but maybe David Moyes will be gone and then, you know, it, Ings can do a job for a new manager. He, he's a natural goal scorer, Danny Ings. If he hadn't had injury problems when he went to Liverpool, I really think he could have taken his game to the next level. I think he's like a, a Lalana situation. He's a very good player who who maybe took took the took the move to a big club at the wrong time. But it's strange though because you bought Scamacca as backup for Antonio, um, and neither of them are injured, uh, and you're now buying um, a player to to essentially back up to the backup. Um, and it's it's a form issue. I mean, Skamaka's got three goals all season. Uh, it is a difficult situation, and goals win games. So You're I do right. Think Dan it, I'd say that it is it, it's a form issue. But as I mentioned earlier, it comes down to the tactics and the formation as well. That I believe that's under the surface of the problem. So for me, we stay up if David Moyes goes. I put it that simply. <laughs> okay. Okay. And if he doesn't go, do you have any hope? Uh, I think we're too predictable. I think other teams know how to uh, to beat us and, and know how to get our heads down, meaning, you know, our confidence drops. So uh, okay. I'm not optimistic. We are in deep, deep trouble here and we need that fresh manager bounce. Uh, I think just, just like South, you said, mentioned Hootenhartel or Hootenhall has gone from Southampton. Southampton went to Everton and won 2-1 on Saturday. That's the kind of bounce that I'd like to see West Ham get. And then we'll be fighting all the way. I'm not looking for pretty football. I just want us to, you know, grind out those draws and those hard-fought victories. OK, Tom, we've got a minute left. So, Tom, give me your first place in the Premier League. Who's going to win the league? Sorry, Tim. Manchester City. City. I'm going Arsenal. I'm going City second. Who have you got second? Uh, Arsenal. 
Arsenal, okay. Uh, United third, I'm going. Who are you going third? Yes, United third. They're in fantastic form right now. Is that Newcastle right United now. or Manchester United? Manchester United in okay. third. Great form, but I don't think it will continue. In 20th place. 20th place, Bournemouth. Me too. Um, Southampton, 19th. I've got Leeds United, 19th. Leeds, and I'm going to go Everton, 18th. I'm going Forest, 18th. Nottingham Forest. Forest. We'll discuss this at the end of the season. This is all we've got time for on the Learn English Football podcast. Catch us on social networks and we'll see you soon for an episode anytime you want to speak football. Come to us. Cheers, Tom. Thank you very Cheers, much. Tim. Bye-bye.